All right, what's up? I'm, uh, I'm Jordan. I'm one of the, the staff members here at Salt Company. And some of you are, are new to Salt. Actually, maybe a lot of you are. This place is hopping. It's just packed. Uh, and uh, you are a little confused about what just happened to you. Uh, the whole public singing thing is a little odd to you, potentially, which, I mean, I get it. Like, if I'm wandering around on campus and I see some people just kind of turn the lights down and start singing in public... My natural reaction isn't like, I'm going to go get in that, seems normal. No, like it, it is a little bit weird. Okay, but I, I, I want to I show you why we're doing that and why I think it'd be awesome if you jumped in that with us. Okay, imagine that you're at a Gophers football game, which, man, Gophers, what a year. Uh, yeah, yeah, like four of you are excited. Um, that's fine. I, I was excited about it. Uh, so you're at a Gophers football game, okay? And something awesome happens. Touchdown is scored, and everybody goes nuts, right? People are high-fiving, they're freaking out, they're jumping up and down. Is your reaction to that, man, this is kind of weird? Like, are you elbowing your buddy, like, kind of rolling your eyes, like, what a bunch of weirdos? No, you're the weirdo if you're not cheering, right? Like, if you're at something like that, 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 that you came there to see something cool happen and then a party when it did happen and you're not cheering, that's actually weird, right? And, and if you were at a football game where something cool happened and nobody went nuts, you would probably conclude that those people aren't actual fans, All right? So this is what I'm saying is the same thing is happening here. Here's what I mean is that we are watching Jesus do something amazing in the world. We've watched him do amazing things in history that Jesus just undeniably is the most central figure in the history of the world who has transformed this world un unlike any other human being that's ever lived. But not just that he's done amazing things in history, but he's done amazing things in our lives. That, that if you started asking questions to the people around you, you inevitably would meet someone who's sitting right next to you that their entire life has been flipped upside down by, by Jesus that they used to be a different person and now their life has been foundationally changed because they encountered Jesus and something happened. And so this is what we do, is we get together to, to look at him, to be amazed, and to respond to him by celebrating and enjoying him. That's what we do. And that's called worship. Worship is just looking at something that's amazing and responding to it appropriately. And look, that's not just a religious thing. That's a human thing. All human beings are worshipers. We were built that way. It's biological. And it's, nobody, had, nobody had to teach you how to cheer at a football game. It just happened naturally because you were built to worship. So the question isn't if you will worship. The question is just who or what you'll worship. And whether that thing that you're looking to to find enjoyment in can actually satisfy your soul. Because that's ultimately what we want when we celebrate and enjoy something in life, is we want to find something that can give us meaning, that can give us satisfaction, that we can find significance, and that's what we're looking for as we worship. So I want to talk about worship tonight and what true worship is. And I want to go to Psalm 103, my favorite psalm, and it's actually a worship song. Okay, that's what the psalms are, is they're ancient worship songs to God, but they tell us a lot about the character of God, and so they're pretty important. So if you've got a Bible or if you've got an app on your phone, um, 
Go ahead and flip there with me. We love the Bible at Salt Company. We think it's actually interesting and really important for our lives. You can download an app on your phone to make it super easy to read, or we've got Bibles in the back if you want one. But Psalm 103, you heard it read during worship, but let me read just a section of it again to you starting at the beginning. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Okay, so that word bless is a little weird for us, right? Like, Maybe you've heard of the idea of God blessing someone else or someone asking God to bless them, but here the psalmist is saying that we bless the Lord. What does he mean? It simply means praise or worship. Celebrate, praise the Lord, right? So bless the Lord, O my soul, all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So this is kind of the structure is he says, hey, celebrate God because of everything amazing that he's done for you. That's his benefits. And the structure of the psalm, it's so crazy, as he says, forget not all of his benefits. And then the rest of the song is, is just listing all of the incredible things that God has done for you. And so he's just going to rapid fire list them in kind of poetic form who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you. I love that, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That just means like freedom, vitality, flourishing. That's what that means, right? So I want you to pay specific attention to verse five where it says that God can satisfy you with good. Okay, don't miss that. God wants to satisfy your desires, which is very odd from the stereotype of Christianity. Typically, we think of Christianity as you sort of killing your desires or like not doing what you want so you can do what's quote unquote right. But what this is saying is that God wants to satisfy all of the deepest desires in your soul, all that longing for significance in your life, that God made you for that and that it's pointing to him. And not only does he want to satisfy them, but he actually can, that he's actually big enough to do it. But the problem with that is, is that we get distracted from his ability to satisfy us by looking at kind of lesser things and pursuing lesser desires. We get distracted by other stuff, and we, we tend to give up the greater desire, the greater satisfaction of knowing God for something lesser and more significant, or less significant that's maybe just a little bit easier. So an example of that, uh, on Tuesday... I sit down Tuesday afternoon, and I'm writing this sermon, right? And I, I'm thinking, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock this thing out this afternoon. I'm going to take the night off. I'm going to have fun. We're going to make some good food. All right, I'm just going to enjoy my life. And so I sit down thinking, I've got this whole afternoon. I can knock this thing out. And here's what I did is watched fail compilations. <laughs> Specifically, uh, the 100 best fails of 2019 you know, and you know how this goes is you start out, you kind of see it, and you're like, oh, you know, I'll watch three or four. You know, it's 100, but I'll just watch three or four. So I watch three or four. Oh, I'll just get to 10. Yeah, I watched all 100. <laughs> just, just hundreds of people falling. And I have no idea why I'm so satisfied that. It seems a little, a little bit odd, you know. But I went for the whole thing. We get distracted by stupid lesser desires. 
right? Like, like, here's what I actually wanted and what was actually good for me is to get done with my stuff so that I can enjoy my life. And I sat there and watched people fall on their face. That's dumb, right? So, okay, we do a similar type of thing spiritually. And, and you'll be tempted to do this in your life, that your deepest desire is there to be satisfied in God, but you'll get distracted from him by lesser desires. And the stuff that you chase, anything besides him that you chase won't actually be enough for you. It can't actually satisfy your soul. In fact, it'll just be cyclical. You'll go to it and you'll have to keep going back for more. Think about it. Let's say you're chasing success. Whatever that definition is for you. Maybe it's success in school or success in life. Whatever that is for you. Uh, you want to be successful, right? And so you get that grade or you get that job and then what happens the second that you get that thing that you were chasing is you immediately start working on the next thing the little taste of success all it does is actually make you crave more sex you want to have sex so you have it what do you want you want to just have more it doesn't satisfy your soul you've got to keep going back money Rockefeller was famous for he got asked how much money is enough and he answered by saying just a little bit more that's every desire in this world, and we're getting distracted by that stuff that instead of satisfying us, just addicts us to that kind of momentary pleasure until it leaves. And so when that stuff doesn't satisfy, here's what we end up doing is we look forward to the future and we say, yeah, okay, maybe this stuff isn't cutting it, maybe I'm not happy, maybe I'm not fulfilled now, but if I can just get that, what's that for you? If I can just land that job in the future, if I can just marry that person, if I can just have those kids or that family, if I can just have this amount of money, then I'll be satisfied, then I'll be okay, even though there's absolutely zero evidence to support that being true. Right In the past, every time you've gotten some money, you've just needed a little bit more. Every time you've landed that job, it hasn't satisfied you but been annoying. But for some reason, you're convinced that in the future, if you can just get that thing, then your life will be okay. Then you'll be satisfied. And here's the deal. Not only does that not work, is that not going to work in your life, but it's actually wrong. Because this is what you're doing is you're replacing the creator with the creation. God designed this world and he gave you your desires so that you would look around and pursue him. Th this world was meant to be one giant pointer to him because it gives you a little taste of something that's good, an appetizer, but it was, it was made for you to go after the main course, the real thing in him. But here's what you're doing is you're stopping with the creation, looking for that to be everything that God is. And that's offensive to him because you're ignoring him for something lesser than him. And he wants relationship with you. And so here's what Psalm 103 is doing is it's calling you back to true worship. It's calling you back to the thing that will satisfy your soul by telling you how amazing God is. And it just gives you repetition after repetition of all of the amazing things that are true about God. Let me give you just a couple of them. That God is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. Psalm 103.8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
Do you know how to believe that? Do you know how to live like that's true? Like when you picture God looking at you, what's the look on his face? Is he angry? Some of you have been told that he's angry. You've gotten the impression from Christians that he's angry. Or, or maybe you don't see him as angry, but slightly disappointed. Right? Like he gave you potential to be some better future version of you, but you are not there yet, so he's kind of waiting for you to come along. Or is he just disinterested in you, not that interested in a relationship, kind of far off, not close to you? No, this says that he's slow to anger, that he's abounding in steadfast love. Picture like a cup that he's just pouring his love into constantly, and it's overflowing, it's abounding, it'll never run out, and it's steadfast. You are inconsistent, but God is consistent. That even on your worst days, it's true that God is slow towards anger towards you. God is a compassionate father. He's doing almost all relationships in your life are conditional. Friends, if you do something wrong, can leave. Dating relationships can end. You can get fired at work, even marriage. If you screw that up enough, it can end. Because that love is conditional. But listen to what God says about relationship with you. Verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. I love that. Infinitely far. As far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Okay, that, that last sentence is talking about your weakness. And in essentially every other context, you'll be tempted to hide your weakness and pretend like it's not there because your relationships are conditional and, you'll, and you're afraid that somebody will leave you if they see the real you. But here God is talking about your weakness. That's what he's talking about when he says that you were dust. It's referring to Genesis 1, that, that you're not divine and eternal like him. Well, he's, he's made you eternal, but you're not divine like him. He formed you out of the dust. So you're, you're limited. You're, you're weak. You're a human being, and he doesn't hold that against you. Why? Because of verse 13, because he shows compassion to his children. He loves you like you're his kid. He shows compassion to you in your weakness. So I've got a 13-month-old named Graham, and you're going to hear about him if you keep coming to Salt Company. It's just how I roll, okay? He makes the sermons a lot. And the dude's a champion, just loves life. He just, just likes to party. And, uh, but, he had, but over break, it was a bummer. He wasn't partying very much because he got super sick. So he, he got a cold, and then he got RSV, which is like a really nasty cold where you can't breathe, and he had to have this face mask thing to, like, help him breathe. And then into that, he got pneumonia and an ear infection at the same time. It sucked. It honestly was, was rough. And so he was just, like, not himself for a month. He's typically like a tornado through my house, but he, um, he just was kind of sitting there, and he, and he was tired, um, and I remember this specific moment when I, I laid him down like on his changing table and he got this co-infection in his eyes and so his eyes like swelled shut and they like closed over and so he couldn't see and he had lost a, a bunch of weight so he was like super skinny. Well, 
He was... If you don't know Graham, he was skinny in Graham terms, not like in comparison to any other child. Um, but he had like, he had lost a bunch of weight and he literally like looked up at me, could hardly see me. And he just reached his hands out like this, like help me. And he was like crying. And I can't tell you what that feeling is like. I mean, until you have a kid, you don't, you're not going to know what that's like. But, like, I would have done anything for that kid in that moment. I mean, there is something that happens to you when you're a parent that you will do anything for your kid. And, and here's the deal. It was really hard that he was sick. It was super, quote, unquote, inconvenient for our lives. It, like, messed up our lives for a month. But I'm not thinking about how he's inconvenient. I just want to do whatever I can to help him because he's hurting and he's weak and I've got compassion on him. And this is what I'm saying is God is like that towards you. Your weakness and your sin is inconvenient for his life. It's not good. It's not what he intended. But that's not the primary thing that he's thinking about. His front foot forward is compassion because you're his kid. And when you're hurting and when you reach out to him and ask him for help, he responds to you in compassion, not in anger, because he loves you. He'd do anything for you. And here's the difference between him and me towards Graham, is that I couldn't do anything about it. He was helpless, but I was helpless too. But here's what's true about God is not only is he compassionate, but he's powerful. And so it means that he can drastically change the circumstances in your life, or he can allow you to live in those circumstances so that you can learn how to depend on him and mature in your faith. He wants your good all the time. And so he gives you his compassion, and he also gives you his power and his goodness. That's what it's like to have relationship with God. He loves you. He'd do anything for you. Every other relationship, your weaknesses and screw-ups will jeopardize the relationship, but with God, your weaknesses and screw-ups intensify his love. And in fact, his compassion has been so moved towards you. His heart was so much in this relationship with you that he devised the most ridiculous and beautiful rescue plan that the world has ever seen. That he would send his own son to earth to hang on a cross in your place. And here's what's going on on the cross is that Jesus is becoming orphaned so that you could become a son or daughter. Your, your sin and brokenness had separated you from God. But God is good, but he's also just. It talks about him being just in this text. And so he can't just overlook it. So what does he do? He pays for it in your place. And so Jesus hangs on the cross in your place so that you can be treated the way that only Jesus deserves. And then it says that, that your, your life can be renewed like the eagles, that you can have freedom and joy and strength in God because Jesus, three days later, physically, bodily, rose from the dead. It's never been disproven because it's true. He rose from the dead, and in the process, he offers you a new resurrected life in him, that you can come to new life in Christ, and you can be set free from everything wrong in your life and have new life in Christ. That's what God offered you in his compassion and it's incredible news. But here's what's true, is, is the vast majority of you are not experiencing that on a day-to-day -day basis. And so this is what will happen when you get these promises from God, these ridiculous promises from him, but your life experience is different, is you will tend to doubt God. Or, or you'll tend to believe that 
that it can't be true, that it can't really be that good. But the problem is not God and his benefits. The problem is our own forgetfulness and our own inability to worship and enjoy him. So imagine that you came up to me telling me about this new just baller coat that you got for Christmas. Okay, it's like a northern coat, right? You, it's, it's rated for sub-zero temperatures. So that thing's keeping you warm regardless. Better not shovel in it because you're going to sweat, all right? So this incredible coat. And you're telling me how warm it is, and then you show up at Salt Company the next week, and you are freezing cold. And you come up to me, and you say, man, I think that coat's broken. Like, it's not working. I guess coats don't break. That, that coat is not working super well. And I'm like, hey, okay, can I see it? Like, can I see how thick it is? And you're like, oh, no, no, I don't have it. I didn't wear it. Okay, the problem is not the coat. The problem is you not wearing it. You've got to wear the coat in order to receive the benefits. This is what I'm saying. You have to learn how to wear the benefits of God. All of those things about him are true, but you've got to figure out how to put them on in your life. Otherwise, you won't actually experience the benefits. And when you don't know how to put on those benefits of God, you'll tend to blame him instead of realizing that it's because you're not taking advantage of them. And in this habits series that we're doing, I guess I haven't mentioned that yet. We're doing a habits, habits, okay? We're doing a habits series at Salt Company um, just for like a few weeks. This is essentially what we're talking about. The rest of the series is essentially teaching you how to put on the coat. We're saying that worship, this talk, is, is foundational, which is essentially saying that God is amazing and worthy of looking at and worshiping, responding to him in worship. And in the rest of the series is teaching you how do you actually do that in your life? How do you actually put on the worship, put on the benefits of God so that you can live in them and experience them? But I, I want to quick give you a, a couple ways tonight, and then we'll spend the rest of the series <clears throat> unpacking that. But, but here's the, the first thing I've, I've got to explain before we can think about how to, how to put on worship of God in our lives is that worship is not just a thing that you do at churchy stuff. It's not just the thing that we're doing here when we're singing, but worship involves all of your life. Okay, you can't worship God one or two times a week at Salt Company and maybe at Salt City Church. That isn't worship, that's hypocrisy. You worship God with all of your life. So you come in here to worship, and then you get sent out there to worship by the way that you live. So how do we do that? How do we put on the coat? A couple quick ways. One of them, stop listening to what you feel and start telling yourself what you need to feel. So the beginning of this psalm, come back to it. He's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. Okay, so this is a worship song, but who's he talking to? He's not talking to God. He's not talking about God. He's talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In general, you shouldn't talk to yourself. It's a weird thing to do. In particular, you shouldn't sing worship songs to yourself. It's kind of awkward, right? So what's he doing? He's commanding his soul to begin to believe and enjoy what he knows to be true about God. He knows in theory that God's amazing. He can list them all out on a piece of paper, but he's not feeling it and experiencing it. And so instead of listening to his feelings and just feeling bad about his distance from God, he's commanding himself to praise, to actually feel what's real. So we don't worship based on what we feel. We worship because Jesus is good and he deserves it. 
And that's true when we get together too. We don't worship if you're feeling it. We worship every time we get together because Jesus is amazing. And we want to declare how amazing he is by the way we worship. I'll get to that in a second. Second thing is build in specific ways throughout your day to notice and enjoy Jesus. So for me, here's what that looks like. I've got alarms that go off a couple times a day, once at lunch, once before I go to bed, that just remind me to pray. The one at lunch is usually like, I'm stressed, help me with the stuff that I got going on. The one at the end of the day, I try and think back through the day and thank him for everything that he did and realize that he was involved in my day. Or, or you pick out a habit, a rhythm in your life that you do every day, and then you make that, you do that with Jesus. So whenever I drive in the car, I'm listening to a podcast, a sermon, or some content so that I can get to know Jesus better. For you, maybe it's your walk to classes. That's always you and Jesus' time you're praying. Third thing, third thing, come to Salt Company Connection Group in church. Commit to this community. Look, if any of what I just said is true, then this is the most ridiculous and amazing truth in the world, and there's nothing that possibly could be more important in your life. And so what in the world could you possibly be doing besides showing up to meet with God? And you're going to miss something every once in a while. I get that. You've got other commitments in your life. But just decide to be here. Quit being flaky in Connection Group. If you've been coming to Salt Company for a while, show up every week. Even if you're not feeling it, show up because it's worth it. And when we get together here to worship Jesus, let's act like he's actually amazing because he is. And, and you guys are sort of doing that. And, and I'm with you in this, okay? I fall short on this. We've got kind of a collective golf clap going on right now. It's not nothing, but it's not super energetic, all right? Jesus rose from the dead, and he's rising you from the dead. We should, yes, that's the appropriate response. Okay, so let's do that when we sing songs together, when we worship Jesus. Okay. Why would you put that much effort into reorienting your life around worshiping Jesus? Because it's worth it. The choice is between satisfaction and disappointment, between joy and hopelessness, between acceptance or failure, between unconditional love or conditional love with, with constant doubts. It's worth it. So here's the goal of your life. Enjoy God as much as possible. Enjoy him as deeply as you can in every facet of your life as often as you possibly can. Let me pray. God, I just pray that that would be true, that we would be worshipers who know how to enjoy you, and that, that it wouldn't be just a thing that we do when we show up at Salt Company, but it, it, that it would be a way that we live our lives. And God, at the end of the day, worship is not about us, it's not about what we feel, it's not about who we are, it's about looking at you and being amazed and responding in the way that you deserve to be responded to. And so even right now, we're going we're gonna to do that. And I ask that you would help us by your spirit to respond in ways that are appropriate to how amazing you are. Jesus, we love being here. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for what you've done for us. Amen.